This is the Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. The Illinois. Cutting through the noise of Illinois politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. Hey there, Patrick Fingston here. I write the Illinois.com. Welcome to our weekly, almost weekly uh, podcast live stream. Uh, and uh, hope you uh, are, are having a good week as we're 20 days from Election Day. Uh, a lot going on in the state of Illinois and in our politics. And coming up today, we'll talk to uh, one of the candidates for Secretary of State uh, in, in the state of Illinois, State Representative Dan Brady, a Republican from Bloomington. Uh, he's the uh, Republican challenger in the race. He's facing Democrat Alexi Janulius. Uh, we'll also talk to Jeremy Gorner from the Chicago Tribune, who has been covering that Secretary of State race and uh, has some good insight on that as well as uh, some thoughts on the gubernatorial debate last night. And that's where we'll start uh, this afternoon is with the debate last night uh, on uh, WGN TV here in uh, the Chicago area or uh, on a next star station in your neck of the woods. It was the, the second and final uh, TV debate for, for Governor J.B. Pritzker and his Republican opponent, Senator Darren Bailey. Uh, it was what you would expect. It was two guys who don't like each other, who spent an hour sniping at each other. We didn't really learn a lot. We didn't really get a lot of detail as we uh, are, are perilously close to election day. We didn't get many details or plans for, for, for what either man wants to do. And even on, on some of the most important issues, uh, for instance, crime, uh, when, when asked for his, his specific plan to uh, reduce crime in the city of Chicago, Darren Bailey didn't have a, a direct plan. To let the people know that help is on the way and things can be better. And I want to remind you, four and a half months ago, as I stood right here and made that comment, within six hours later, a homeless man was put on fire uh, in Chicago. And and so I've been thinking about that since you keep bringing it, the situation up, and I've got a new name for Chicago. I'm going to call it Pritzkerville because every one of Governor Pritzker's extreme policies are destroying the city, out-of-control crime, devastated education, the fact that corporations are packing up and leaving every day. No, I think uh, Pritzkerville fits quite well because Governor Pritzker, it's time for him to own it. Chicago is the nightmare called Pritzkerville, and it's still th two weeks from Halloween. That, of course, was the uh, response to to his calling Chicago a hellhole repeatedly and, and what he was going to do about it. Of course, no plan there, just just more uh, lobbed bombs from from Bailey. But but it wasn't just Bailey who was light on specifics. It was Governor Pritzker as well, who was asked again for specifics on on how he would uh, fix or amend the the law that that eliminates cash bail that that Republican and Democrat states attorneys have have issues with that that if you read it is is not clear on what authority judges have uh, even though he accused me after the debate of calling that non-detainable offenses and spreading misinformation whatever uh, but but it was uh, 
also from the governor who who had few details as to how he would actually uh, make changes to that. Look, law. the folks who are critical of the uh, Safety Act and who are spreading disinformation um, want to let violent criminals out of jail on January 1. That's not what the Safety Act says. But if they're going to try to do that, we ought to amend the Safety Act to make sure they can't do it. Let's amend it, uh, but not end it. And Darren Bailey is defending a system currently that allows people to buy their way out of prison. Remember, murderers, rapists, and domestic abusers are the ones who he says it's okay to allow them to buy their way out of jail. Oh, you're the letting them out. The fact is that, that uh, victims and advocates approve of and support the Safety Act, and so do I. But really, when it comes down to it, uh, the, the story of the debate last night is this. I'm proud of what we've achieved. We have much more to do. There's no doubt about it. Significantly more investment for our communities that have been left out and left behind all across Illinois. We need to quit tossing money at the problems and solve them. Can we not have interruptions? I, just can like, I rebuttal we since we he would prefer that we don't have interruptions? You answer questions. I'll but I can't sit here when you sit here and, and lie like that. The voters, the people, to have to know that you're lying to, to them. Our that that was the the bottom line here. Is it was a debate filled with interruptions and arguments and sniping. Uh, I counted twenty two, uh, at least twenty two interruptions uh, from Darren Bailey uh, to to the governor. The governor interrupted Bailey eight times, as I saw. The, the, the moderators had to uh, uh, admonish Senator Bailey a few times for uh, for his uh, sticking his nose in, in when the governor was asked a question. Uh, it, it's kind of that level of, you know, are you actually going to have a debate or are you going to have a joint press conference? Uh, but you also can't just walk all over your opponent, too. Did, did this debate change the direction of the race at all? I don't know. I don't. I have a hard time believing that. Uh, with with twenty days to go, twenty one yesterday when 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 it happened, you know the the governor outspent Darren Bailey twenty three to one in the third quarter. So so it's just a a giant hole for for Bailey to try and dig out of, and and he needed to find a way to change the narrative, and I don't I don't know that he did that. So uh, on those uh, clips, by the way, courtesy of WGN TV uh, in, in Chicago. Uh, so let's let's get to uh, our, our guest today. I sat down with State Representative Dan Brady on Friday, uh, and uh, for for those of you watching the video side of this, we had a couple of camera issues, so uh, the 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 video isn't perfect, but the audio is is good, and that's what that's what counts. So. Uh, we sat down with uh, Dan Brady uh, to talk about his campaign for Secretary of State. And by State Representative Dan Brady, he is the Republican nominee for uh, Secretary of State in the state of Illinois, uh, State Representative from Bloomington. Uh, Dan, let's start here. You're you're a funeral director by trade, a county coroner before you became State Representative. How does that relate to the services? How does that background make you the qualified guy for Secretary of State? Well, thanks for the opportunity, Patrick, first off. And I would say that my background lends very well to the Secretary of State's office, um, from business, private business, to county government service, to presently a state representative. Um, in that time, especially uh, in the county service, uh, organ and tissue donation, 
was a passion of mine, and I began working closely with Secretary Jesse White um, and others related to uh, organ and tissue donation at that time. Um, I also uh, was very much uh, compelled to try and see about distracted driving, um, drunk driving, uh, um, and I had a program where the courts actually uh, had an alternative sentencing program through uh, McLean County Coroner's Office and, and the 15th Judicial Circuit that I was actually uh, won an award nationally for as an alternative sentencing program for youth for DUI offenders. Those type of areas all are part of uh, the Secretary of State's um, domain, if you will, and operations in the office. And so I think that really got me uh, thinking about the office more um, and the appeal that it had, not just in those areas of, of um, distracted driving, of teens, senior services, organ tissue donation, but business articles of incorporation and, and the office being the chief record keeper of the state of Illinois, the chief librarian of the state of Illinois. All those areas were something that I had a role in, whether that be private business, whether that be county government, or my service as state representative, and legislative related to that. For instance, um, uh, first-person consent, I was co-sponsor and worked on a task force on that. Um, 16 to 17-year-olds to be uh, enrolled uh, with their wishes with a parental override uh, for the organ donation um, um, donation program. And also then uh, seniors' uh, distracted driving or defensive driving courses where I worked with the National Safety Council and Insurance Agents, Agency or Association as well as Secretary of State's office. And, uh, so that really, I guess, got my interest in the office itself. And then from a representative side as well, uh, working with Secretary of State's office in the budget process and the overall budget process and leg other legislation dealing with the office and the operations of the office. And when you stop and think about it, it's the office uh, that touches more lives on a daily basis than any other executive branch office in the state of Illinois. And yes, everybody thinks motor vehicle services first, mm -hmm. understandably so, but the office in its 21 divisions does a lot of other things. Let's, let's start with the, the DMV part of this because mm -hmm. that is what I think most people think of Secretary of State. Yes. Um, it's not a place with a good reputation. Uh, whether it's it's slow service, whether it's long lines, whether it's not particularly pleasant people to deal with, um, what can be done? The way that it's designed now, the way that you deal with union contracts, et cetera, that the office can be reformed to be more consumer friendly. Well, there's a, about 96 a driver motor services vehicles facilities across the state of Illinois, three of which of those are owned, the rest are all leases, spending a little over $10.5 million in the Secretary's budget uh, from, for leases alone. Um, those facilities in, in different locations, and primarily you get the largest traffic, uh, foot traffic volume in the suburb areas, obviously. Um, and what can be done? Uh, and I get that question a lot, and I, I think on the campaign trail, obviously the number one question is, cut those lines, I'll vote for you. Um, reduce those fees, I'll vote for you. <laughs> you know, those are the type of things that people tangibly feel, especially when they're standing in a line when it's cool outside or they're standing in a line outside of a facility when it's hot outside. Um, and by looking at what can be done internally, number one, not, not talking about major overhaul of technology or investment of dollars, right, but the simple fact of, of cross-training. Um, fully staffing those facilities, which haven't been fully staffed in years. I'm not talking about hiring new people. I'm talking about prioritizing and looking at the workforce and, and focusing in on those priorities of those facilities. The cross-training side of things, there's really two reasons why people end up going to the uh, driver services facility. Number one, um, 
driver services. Number two, vehicle services. That's what takes them in. And one of the things you hear continuously is when I got to that end of the line, then I got told that person is not working today. I don't know what he or she does. You're going to have to come back. So cross-training means that you can simply know both sides of those services. And you're going to have to be, as a leader, as a secretary, you're going to have to be able to give those people, a lot of dedicated individuals that work in the Secretary of State's office, out in the trenches, if you will, at those facilities. You're going to give them the resources they need. Yes, that's technology advancement. Yes, that's digital enhancement. That's a lot of different things that we need to look at. But before we do all that, there's some internal things we can do, and just cross-training and fully staffing is just two of them. Let's let's talk about the the plan that you put forward that uh, would be a one year cut in in fees. Uh, the cynic in me says, Dan, that's a that's a gimmick trying to buy votes. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, ob- obviously people want a, a fee cut. That's that's obvious, but. We're talking $500 million. I mean, we're not talking about a, a, a little break that's not going to have a big impact on the budget. Well, first off, you're talking about close to around $7 million to the operations budget of the Secretary of State's office. Uh, number one, how, how would you fill something like that? Well, just one idea of spending about 3 to $4 million in mailing license plates when we have people that are going to these facilities across the state of Illinois um, delivery. Uh, they're going to these uh, outlets, and then maybe we could reach out to those people that can pick up their plates. There's three to four million dollars right there. Um, obviously, other bill tightening and, and talking to some of the uh, staff and retired individuals. They have some of the best ideas in the Secretary of State's office on how to improve things. And I learned that from appropriations as state representative, uh, in particular in higher education, listening to those in the rank and file, if you will, with some of their great ideas. Yes, the other side of things, you're talking about the actual um, uh, budget itself when it comes to uh, road construction, mm-hmm. when you're talking to the capital side of things. Um, right now, we've suspended a little bit the gas tax. We've suspended the grocery tax uh, up until the end of the year. There would be somewhere around 300 some million dollars that would come back in after that um, suspension of the gas tax is fully done. What I was talking about was a temporary reduction of $50. Now, when we, when we talked about that publicly, a gimmick, no, a reduction that comes from people that you hear on the campaign trail continuously tell you, could you reduce those fees? And why not look at something and discuss something? Because, quite frankly, we did that in the General Assembly when it comes to the trailer fees. When it was increased by increased by $100 and then the outcry of the general public, it was reduced by the General Assembly back to the original fee that it was. So it can be done. Now, with the uh, suspension of the tax of what, whatever percentage it is right now that's supposed to be done at the end of this month, or I'm sorry, December, um, that's going to put more money in the coffers of the road fund, if you will. And so some form of reduction in license plate fee renewals, um, I think, is very doable. Now, you're going to have to have the appetite from the General Assembly in which to do that. Uh, but I think that the public's certainly ready for anything like that. There's a technological aspect here, though, that the Secretary of State's office needs a significant technology upgrade. Yes. It's it's archaic. Try to use the Secretary of State website to look up LLCs, and it's a pain in the butt. Um, that's going to come at a cost. How do you build that mm-hmm. in, especially if you're cutting into your operating budget in the first sure. year? One of the things I've talked about is the potential of partnering with community colleges across the state of Illinois. Now, 
I'm not talking about taking a magic wand and saying that drivers for services uh, of 96 facilities are now all going to move into our 39, 38 uh, college campuses of community colleges across the state. I'm saying let's look at specific areas that have the highest foot traffic, the, the greatest delay in time, and let's look at where nearby there might be a community college that wants to potentially lease space in my particular legislative district, Hartman Community College does that on a number of fronts. In particular, right now, is offering CDL, um, commercial driver license training, um, for individuals. But a lot of those community colleges have um, several things that would be of interest that that we know. For one, most people know where their community colleges are. You know, you got nine alone in, in the collar counties of of Cook. Number two, what else do they have? They have all the integrated technology, Wi-Fi. Um, tech, digital, um, uh, cyber optic securities that are built in. Those investments have been made and are there. And a number of them have spaces that they would like to lease and talk about. So why not look at, instead of totally reinventing the wheel from a expensive investment standpoint, what's out there that we could partner with? A couple other things they also have. Number one, public transportation. There's transportation to all those areas, and they all have either a more modernized um, facility, safety, accessibility from the handicap side of things. Um, so a lot of things are there. What it would simply take would be the stakeholders to be able to communicate and put a program together, even on a test uh, pattern program, to look at that. And the other thing is taxpayers are already paying for all that. And how can we build off of that uh, before we start putting good money after bad facilities? Is, is, so you're talking about moving, like, say, your, your Bloomington driver services yes. facility to Heartland College? Yeah. But I, I would start with the heaviest traffic pattern. Let's look at maybe Lombard. Let's look at uh, Naperville, um, areas in which they have the greatest wait times. And what's nearby that taxpayers are already footing the bill for, community colleges, and the services that those community colleges offer. And a lot of those community colleges already lease space for other, um, other programs, um, other business, and have a, 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 whether it's a public partner, private partnership with whomever. So it holds potential at least. Because if you look at some of these leases, um, where we're spending well over $10.5 million. It's, it's very interesting if you start connecting dots and names and who's had what and what properties and so on. I, I, you can probably well figure out. Um, something to where the taxpayers are already paying for it. Let's look at that. But yes, there has to be that technology upgrade and more remote services. Now, to the Secretary of State's credit, online has improved, at least from the appointment standpoint, that has been an improvement. But we still have to have the facility, facility that maybe seniors who aren't so tech savvy, who want to come into the facility itself because they don't understand really why they're coming other than they got this letter in the mail. Those type of things um, are very important as well. And so having the, the most um, advanced technology that may be already, already implemented to some degree, instead of reinventing the wheel, let's look at what's already out there that taxpayers are paying for. And community colleges may have the potential uh, to have a part of that piece of that puzzle. Let's talk politics because yeah. I think I think we need to we need to be fair and honest about the the current reality in Illinois politics that we're living in. Polls don't look great for you. 
uh, fundraising has been been down, uh, at least compared to your opponent, um, who's who's been on broadcast TV in Chicago for weeks. Um, you know, it, what's the what's the outlook? How do you feel confident when you see what feels like headwinds blowing against you? Well, what I do is deja vu back in the primary, and um, if if um, we listen to what the uh, the experts knew <laughs> or said back then, I wouldn't be sitting here with you talking about being the nominee for uh, the Republican nominee for Illinois Secretary of State. What's the reality? Absolute blue state. Very, very difficult. What do I have to do? I have to certainly go after the votes from independents and disgruntled Democrats. And I have to be able to articulate what have been the problems of my opponent when it comes to his role as treasurer uh, when he was there in the state of Illinois. I have to um, articulate and get the message out and the word out that, you know, under, under his direction, um, there's over $150 million lost in the Bright Start program of college education, a savings fund program for parents across the state of Illinois for their son or daughter's college tuition. That was under his watch with risky investments and problems from there. The other area to talk about as well is his time in which he was uh, involved in the family banks and, and Broadway Bank and what had happened there when it was eventually seized by the federal government due to loans and problems with the bank and taken over. Those are all things that are very, very important to know from the standpoint of we're talking about having somebody become the uh, chief financial officer, if you will, of the Secretary of State's office in charge of the Investment and Securities Division of the Secretary of State's office. Now, if you look at somebody's resume and the overall operations of the office and what it does on people's daily lives, I believe my resume and my experience is vast over my opponent. Yes, getting the message out, very difficult. But I will outspend a million dollars in a primary. I will outspend that right now. Um, the polls, I don't know that I put a great deal of, of uh, credence in polls. However, each poll that we're seeing, we're creeping up little by little. Now, that's something that is, is very, very um, uh, encouraging. Is there enough time for all this? We'll have to wait and see. But I don't know that the voters are totally engaged just yet. Um, but those are the type of things in my travels, my work ethics, and, and basically living and staying north of I-80 with the, the total volume of votes are, is, is the plan that I've been operating under. And I, I think, quite frankly, the more time you invest and the more uh, you are able to connect, it obviously helps. But yes, uh, mismatch for resources is very difficult, um, but we keep charging up that hell that I keep talking about, and I think we're making headway. Do you, do you feel like the ethical questions that have surrounded Alexi Junilius, the the Broadway Bank situation specifically, that uh, that was a major factor in why he lost the Senate race in 2010. Is that a disqualifying issue to you, even though there was no no allegation of, of any wrongdoing on his part? Well, I think that's yes, to, to answer your question. I, I certainly, anybody with, with, with a record, you know, I, I'm not one of these individuals that uh, it's just politics of personal destruction. I try and look at what's a legitimate record and what occurred under his watch. So important to me as a minority spokesman on, on appropriation of higher education in Springfield is the mismanagement of the Bright Star program. And then when that was all um, uh, unfolded, I guess you might say, and finger pointing starting, and then finally you get to a point where you're talking about a resolution 
And then those families get less in a settlement package than they were supposed to get initially that was rolled out. Those are the things that when people stop and think about it, they're like, oh, wait a minute. That was the guy who did that. Yeah. And the other thing to keep in mind, as I said earlier, there's a securities investment division in the Secretary of State's office that tells people how to invest their monies. Um, I think having someone that has a uh, bio that hasn't had a problem of over $150 million of losing funds for a college education program, as well as other private banking issues, is certainly the type of person that one would say, I don't think I want that person as my management investment person telling me about what are good securities and good investments via the Secretary of State's office. So all that plays into it. And then I think the other side of things is really what people I come in contact with across the campaign trail, they're really looking for the party of efficiency out of the Secretary of State's office. Um, I don't know that it's as R&D as uh, the office of governor or some other office uh, statewide, but certainly uh, efficiency. When, when that mother or father who has a son or daughter on an, an organ waiting transplant list, uh, they don't care if that, that organ is coming from a Republican or a Democrat. What they want to make sure is that the organ donation registry is as current as possible, functioning with our hospitals, our um, um, programs of those who are responsible for organ and tissue donation in the state, and making sure that all the communications are working through the Secretary of State's office to make sure those donations can occur and occur as quickly, safely, and healthy as possible. That's what people want to see out of the organ and tissue program that I've been in working with the Secretary of State's on. Is Darren Bailey a drag on the Republican ticket? You know, I don't know that he's a drag on. I will say this about Darren Bailey. Um, it certainly is an individual that has more organization and has worked hard. Again, an individual mismatch for resources. Um, you know, I, I was asked, are you going to be uh, uh, you know, an individual that um, partners and, and endorses and all those type of things? Look, I haven't been asked to, to uh, give advice on anybody else's campaign. I'm trying to run mine. I came off of a Republican primary where some individuals thought they knew more than everybody else. And they thought it was better that because they were saying this person is the right choice, that person is the right choice, this is the way it should be because we know best because we have the most money. They got soundly rejected for that. So I'm very careful about telling people what they should or shouldn't be doing. Am I going to vote for Darren Bailey for governor? Yes, I am. Absolutely. Before we let you go, the the political environment, and, and we're in the suburbs. Uh, our friends at the Technology and Manufacturing Agency let us use their conference room to record today. Uh, so we're in Schaumburg. Uh, but it's Suburban Cook, DuPage, Lake, Will, et cetera. These are places that Republicans have struggled mightily in mm -hmm. recent years. Yes. Uh, you know, J.B. Pritzker won DuPage County in 2018, which is unprecedented. Um, suburban women are, polls are showing this. They are, they are hesitant to vote for Republicans, whether it's, whether it's Trump, whether it's Bailey, whether it's abortion, whether it's uh, just the fact that you're a white dude from downstate. Uh, and I say that as a fellow white dude from downstate. <laughs> um, how do you ease the concerns that a large block of the voting public has with Republicans in general when they talk about this race, which isn't necessarily straight down the partisan ideology line. 
the way I do it is one is my track record, my track record of, in the legislature of being an individual who's seen moderate, bipartisan, somebody who can sit down and try and figure out how we resolve the problem instead of being a flamethrower of coming in and creating more of a problem, one. Um, looking at this particular race of mine right now, Governor Pritzker giving my opponent most recently a million dollars. She just can't help himself. You know, he's a Democrat through and through. I'm an individual who's a public servant through and through. I'm an individual who believes that even though ideologically we may be different in some areas, I'm not going to give you some litany test and you have to go by this or that. And hopefully the same courtesy and mutual respect is extended from those who meet Dan Brady. It has been by groups that have introduced or endorsed me. The largest union in the state of Illinois, the IEA, the teachers union, endorsed me, the only Republican of any statewide candidate on the statewide ticket. Everybody else was a Democrat. I think that speaks volumes. Paternal order of police, those individuals that deal with roads, investigations, have endorsed my campaign. Abate of Illinois, the motorcyclists, who have obviously very big concerns about motorcycle safety across the state of Illinois, have looked at my platform, met with me, interviewed with me, and have endorsed me. Um, Chicago Local 2 Firefighters Union has endorsed me. The Associated Firefighters, the Chamber of Commerce, whether it's a historically a Democrat group or perceived to be a Democrat group or that it's more of a business group, I've been able to bring those groups together. And again, this is an office, as I've said, I think more people focus on the party of efficiency they want to see coming out of the Secretary of State's office than whether the Secretary is a Republican or a Democrat. Um, all I can do is continue to work as hard as I possibly can and remind people that I think what the Secretary's office needs uh, as well right now is an individual engaged, energized, and is going to be the leader that those employees, those over 4,000 employees, need to see, need to hear from, interact with, and know that they're appreciated for what they do. I believe I'm the right person for that. Representative Dan Brady, Republican candidate for Secretary of State. Uh, Representative, thanks for the time. Thank you very much, Patrick. Good to be with you. All right, that's Dan Brady, state representative, Republican candidate for state represent uh, for uh, Secretary of State. Uh, for the record, we've uh, invited Alexi Junulius for a sit down. The Democrat uh, will uh, will let you know if they agree to uh, to a conversation with us. All right, we're pleased to be joined by Jeremy Gorner. He is a new political reporter at the uh, Chicago Tribune, recently moved from the crime beat to the political beat. He's based at the state capitol in, in Springfield. Uh, Jeremy, I specifically wanted to have you on to talk about uh, the Secretary of State's race, which I know you've been covering. Uh, the the common sense, the, the, the regular thinking is that uh, this is Alexi Janulius's race to lose. Is, is that kind of how you see it? Any other constitutional office like treasurer, comptroller, um, attorney general, where does the, I think that one you really need to ask, does the average voter really truly know the functions of these offices? And I think it's, you know, when we think of secretary of state, we think, oh, this is the, where I go to the, this is where I go to get my driver's license renewed or take a driving test. And, oh, sometimes the lines can be a little long. Um, but, you know, so it's an office that is often looked at as, you know, nonpartisan, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, do you have the ability to um, be a good manager and operate an office with more than 4,000 employees? However, it is an office, the fact of the matter is, is it is an elected office. And in Illinois, being 
the blue state as it is, are voters really going to care about everything I mentioned, the operations of the office, et cetera? Or are they going to care more about Alexi Janulius is a Democrat and Dan Brady's a Republican? Um, you know, I, I spoke with at least one independent expert on elections who suggested that voters in these situations may very well vote on party identification, which is very clearly where uh, Janulius would have the advantage because, like I said, he's a Democrat, it's a blue state, and he's out, he's been um, an office holder, a statewide office holder before. He was once the state treasurer. So he's got a little name recognition there, even though he hasn't been in the game for more than a decade. Dan Brady, on the other hand, I mean, he won his, you know, if you look on paper, he, on paper, he appears to be very qualified to run the office because as a legislator, he's worked with Secretary of State Jesse White on a lot of issues over the years in the state legislature. Um, everything from, you know, like organ and tissue donation, for example, that was a big, big issue for Brady, especially, you know, with his background as being um, once being a coroner uh, in McLean County. Um, and also in this last primary, he went up against um, a Republican challenger who was backed by uh, the billionaire, Ken Griffin, who had a slate of candidates where he was just throwing who, whom he was just throwing money at. But that didn't deter Brady in the primary. So he he's really kind of brushed off concerns when I've spoken to him about um, being underfunded compared to his opponents. But Alexi Janulius is obviously totally different. He, he's got a lot more money than Brady, and it's going to really be an uphill battle um, for Brady money-wise. But I know that that is still an issue that, you know, Brady's basically kind of running on his resume and how he's worked with the Secretary of State in the past, not so much how much money he has in his uh, campaign account. You know, Janulius has been, you know, well, and and I, I started covering Janulius when I was a reporter back when he was running for treasurer in 2005. So yeah, I think that makes me feel a little old at this point. But, <laughs> um, you know, when he was just a bright eyed 30 year old kid when he was was elected. But um, sure. he, he has been he has run this campaign very differently than he acted as treasurer. Uh, maybe it's because he's a little cynical after the, the Senate race in 2010, but right. but he has been very quiet, uh, very concentrated on uh, paid media instead of getting out doing interviews and, and being in the public. Don't get a ton from his campaign. Uh, what's what's Janulius's line of thinking here? I mean, I think it's I, you know, I, I mean, I couldn't tell you what what his line of thinking is i mean i just know that i've asked him um or, or i shouldn't say I asked him he's talked about before why he wants to run again i mean he's um you know you know in the time that he was state treasurer he's gotten he's gotten married started a family and said that that kind of factored into you know basically wanting to make a difference again and um get into public life you know as part of his talking points he's basically saying he's basically has said well, despite not being an elected official for over a decade, I never left. State colleges, he was on the uh, community, the, the Illinois Community Colleges Board. So he's been around in the public sector in some obscure positions. But I, I also feel like, too, um, people still know who he is. I mean, they still remember him. And perhaps he feels like you know, name recognition could, that alone could maybe put him over the top. He hasn't said that, but one would think, I mean, people still remember who he is. I mean, the difference here now too, is that, you know, when he was running for treasurer, he had the backing of uh, then Senator Obama. 
Um, and uh, of course, when he ran, and then of course, Janulius ran unsuccessfully for uh, the former president's Senate seat. Um, but now, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, I've asked him about that, about, about you know, does, is uh, former President Obama aware that your, your old basketball buddy, is he aware that you're running for Secretary of State? And he didn't really, and, and it's kind of like you're suggesting, Patrick, like, yeah, he was very private about that. He didn't want to divulge any conversations he's had with the former president, just that he's merely aware of that he's running for, for office. So, yeah, he has played a lot of stuff, a lot of things close to the vest and has not been out there um, as much as one would think. Um, so, yeah. You, you saw Dan Brady in the, the interview that just ran um, said that the uh, – the 150 million dollar uh, loss for for Bright Start when uh, when the market tanked uh, through Oppenheimer in, in 2008 2009, uh, as well as the Broadway Bank Jaws Durango stuff, uh, he called it disqualifying for for Janulius. Um, mm -hmm. Has Janulius specifically said anything to you? And again, he's he's not said a lot publicly. Has he said anything to you about some of those either either failures as treasurer or or potential allegations of of corrupt practices when when he was involved in his family's bank which by the way he's he's never been charged with anything or doing anything illegal right proper. right 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 um well he has as, as far as like as far as the bank goes you know just off the you know offhand the big thing that he has mentioned is you know the how proud he was of his father um um you know, for obviously, you know, you know, the patriarch of the family running the bank and how the, the failure of the bank, um, he, you know, Alexi has blamed the Great Recession on that. You know, a lot of small banks in the United States uh, fell victim, just like Broadway Bank did. Um, he's blamed that. As far as like his shortcomings as treasurer, he's tried to put a real positive face on it, you know, you know, just kind of pointing out that past news cover in past news coverage, financial analysts have said that despite the shortcomings with Bright Start, um, the treasurer's office under his administration uh, generally gave it positive marks. I feel like, you know, too, you know, the the treasurer's office again. It's one of those obs not obscure offices. It's got a lot of power, but like for the average voter, it's one of those offices where, you know he might have a lot of accomplishments that he's touting from his time as treasurer, but the, the average voter is only going to hear about the failures based on like, you know, and that's exactly what you're bringing up, Patrick, the 150 million, which is something that he's tried to downplay by saying, yeah, that happened, but you know, we recovered um, like 70, 77 million of that, I think million dollars of that for, I think it was 65,000 investors or something to that effect. So that's really kind of the responses I've gotten from him whenever we brought up Bright Start. Before we let you go, Jeremy, uh, I wanted to talk about the gubernatorial debate last night. You you were at the ISU debate a couple of weeks ago, uh, not not in Chicago last night, but uh, the the debate that you know we opened with uh, playing a couple of clips. Uh, I, I I titled the the newsletter this morning Bailey interrupt us. I mean, it, it was it was really that that seemed to be the takeaway was was this this snippy fighting, uh, you know, very disrespectful tone. I think I had 
22 interruptions from Bailey to eight to Pritzker from Pritzker. I mean, that's, it, it was, it, it was just a very, um, very snippy, very terse debate. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, it kind of reminded me of the first presidential debate between um, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, where you really couldn't tell where each uh, candidate stood on the issues because they're, they're, you know, they kept interrupting each other. Um, but, you know, look, Patrick, I mean, as you know, it's been a pretty messy campaign, uh, just the way that each uh, each candidate has gone after each other. And, and, you know, what we're seeing is, you know, all that frustration coming to a head on live TV. Um, you know, so it's really not I, I really don't feel like it's that surprising that you wouldn't see um, the cordiality that, you know, one would hope in a debate, especially for undecided voters who want to get a clear understanding of where each um, side stands on the issues. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, Bailey's thinking is that he's looking at somebody like Pritzker, like it's a David and Goliath fight. He knows that, you know, he knows that he is an outsider as a politician, even among Republicans. And he knows that he's going up against not, a, not a Republican, but a Democrat who is, you know, obviously they're, you know, the dominant party. So, that could probably be a defense mechanism for all we know, as far as why he was coming at Pritzker the way he was. What, what was the, I, I, I said on the, the WGN pregame show kind of before, before things started last night that the Bailey really needed a, a moment that changed the narrative of, of the race. Uh, he's, he's being out, he was outspent 23 to one in the third quarter uh, by, by the Pritzker campaign. Uh, so he need and he's not he, he's not going to have the resources to compete dollar for dollar with Pritzker over the final three weeks here. So I, I had said that he needed to find a moment that could become essentially viral, TV, social media, radio, etc. I I didn't see that. I didn't see anything that changed the race. Did you? No, I mean there certainly were some quips early on uh, where. Uh, you know, Bailey referred to Chicago as Pritzkerville. Uh, we'd never heard that before. And of course he used the term Chumbalone, which uh, I believe, uh, you know, former Tribune columnist, John Cass used to use a lot in his writing. Uh, you know, so he had a couple of quips here and there, but as far as where he stood on the issues, I think anyone who's covered the campaign um, probably like, you know, heard that debate and really did and really felt that, um, this didn't really move the move the needle that much more than it did um, at Illinois State. I mean, it really didn't. I mean, you know, he did. He was, you know, DCFS, of course, has been a hot button issue for the Democrats all year, you know, it, where Republicans have come after them for that. And there was a little bit of sparks there where he was, you know, calling for um, DCFS head Mark Smith to be fired. Um, and that was something that Pritzker was pretty much was was really defending other than that there really wasn't much new that at least that i saw out of it other than like i said a few quips here and there from the beginning the the fact that the governor has yet to uh really outline what he would do to fix the cash bail uh law it continues to be what i i see as one of the the glaring misses of his campaign thus far um, and, and I asked him about that in the, the spin room last night, and he kind of went after me for talking about non-detainable offenses, which which I didn't do. I don't understand where that came from. But uh, but but the 
the question relates to, and, and even Democratic states attorneys are saying this, that that there is there is not clarity in this law for what authority a judge has to hold someone or not. Is isn't it? Shouldn't he just have an easy enough time to say we need to clarify the law? We need to make it clearer that judges have the authority. What I, I don't understand the thinking that that we're not getting clarity on this. So the former of what you just said, Patrick, I think he has said as far as the fact that they need clarity in the law, but the latter about, you know, giving judges more discretion. I haven't really heard the governor get into specifics Mm -hmm. on what he'd like to change, which is what I think you're getting at. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, we've heard about, we've heard about, like I've heard about some changes privately that the legislature would like to make, right? Like there's a section, for example, about, um, about, you know, that that's going to require that requires law enforcement to write tickets uh, in lieu of an arrest where that for certain misdemeanors, one of them being trespassing. And that scared a lot of, you know, like the layperson who reads that or hears that and says, oh, the police can't arrest anyone for trespassing anymore. Well, I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, of course, the police can if they're deemed a threat. But what you know, but but that's one example I bring up, because what I've heard about that is that if, if you read the statute, it could be interpreted in different ways. So that could be one. I've heard that that could be one um, point of contention going into veto session that they might look at. So, so my guess, the point in bringing that up is that he's not getting that granular into detail about um, you know specific things in the law that he would want to change. Would you expect a governor who's speaking from ten thousand feet above everybody to? I don't think so. But at the same time, even broadly, I mean, the governor has largely like you're pointing out, has stayed away from getting too specific um, on about what changed on, on, on what, what he thinks should changes should be made. Jeremy Gorner from the Chicago Tribune. Uh, Jeremy, appreciate it. Uh, check out his stuff on Twitter. Check his stuff out in the Trib. Uh, appreciate your time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks, Patrick. All right, that's Jeremy Gorner from the Chicago Tribune. Uh, thanks to uh, thanks to Jeremy for sit- taking some time with us uh, today. Uh, as well. We're 20 days to the uh, uh, November 8th general election, and it can't come fast enough, right? It's after after these two two debates of, of obfuscating and 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 interrupting and, and fighting and uh, the political ads that are are sometimes based in science fiction. This uh, this cycle, it's it's been uh, it's been one for the record books, but we're almost there. Uh, and uh, we'll we'll get back to the uh, uh, job at hand of actually governing once the uh, once the election wraps up. So thanks so much for taking time to uh, to either watch with us if you're uh, on our live stream or, or listen if you're uh, on our podcast. Uh, sign up for our daily newsletters at theillinois.com, I-L-L-I-N-O-I-Z-E.com, and uh, keep us uh, updated. We'll keep you updated on Twitter, on Facebook, all those. All those social media channels, look us up and we'll, uh, we'd, be, we'd love to have you there. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great day, everybody.